I'm Richard Lannan, Rides with Cannon, and this is the Glazing Insider Industry Podcast. Chris, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for coming on. Thank you, Richard. Great pleasure to be with you today. Thank you for having me. How did you get into the fenestration world? Um, it's quite a long story, actually. When I left school, sixth form college, all I ever wanted to be was a policeman. So I was sort of biding my time, trying to get to sort of 21, where you could go into the training academies. Ended up in engineering as a technical apprentice and did that for till I was 21, went through college, ended up a production engineer, programming CNC machine tools. Oh, right. Real engineering. Proper engineering, yeah. proper metal bashing, yeah. And then from there, a friend of mine who I played football with actually worked for a, an engineering tool distributor called Cromwell, Cromwell Tools. And they were looking for an internal technical customer service engineer to support small to medium engineering companies with their technical requirements. So he asked me if I was interested and sort of said yes, and I, I ended up working for Cromwell Tools, which was great because that was really my first commercial exposure. It utilised the skills I had. So I, I would literally get a, a small engineering company ring up saying, I've got this type of metal on this machinery. What tools do I need to, to make that product? So I did that for two or three years. And then they asked me to become a technical sales engineer. So I literally went on the road visiting engineering companies, um, selling machine tools and tooling to, uh, to, to small to medium engineering companies and some of the larger engineering companies as well and one of those lot i won't mention the name they're no longer here but i won't mention the name one of those large engineering companies actually collaborated with bostic because they made chew machinery and i got on very well with the purchasing director and he asked me one morning when i went to see him he said bostic are looking for somebody They've asked me if I know anybody, would you, would you be interested? So I just said, yeah, by all means, get them to give me a ring. The days before mobile phones, etc. <laughs> so it was in, in the evening. So I, I went for a job at Bostic in their industrial adhesives business. Right. And was given the, given the role. But about a week before I joined, I got a phone call saying, that job's still there, <clears throat> but we've restructured the business and we've created and want to develop um, a specific business for IG sealants, insulating glass sealants. Are you interested? And I said, I have absolutely no idea because I don't know what an IG sealant is. <laughs> I don't know what the industry is. But I took the job because it sounded interesting and different, knowing that if you get into somewhere like Bostic, you can move around the organisation. So in 1994, I joined Bostic as technical sales for insulating glass sealants. Right. And that was the start of my journey in the, what I, for me, it's more glass than the window and door industry, but that's how I got into fenestration. Right. Now, well, straight away, that's quite a journey. So, policeman, that didn't, you didn't go down that route then in the end? No, it, it was still, it was still a burning ambition, but it was one of them that I sort of fell into a job that I liked. Yeah. Um, I built up some expertise in it. I felt comfortable. I had a nice company car. Life was good. So um, I sort of forgot about the career in, in police, but my friend did. He went and did the training through Hendon, et cetera, and became an inspector who has just retired. Right. But uh, I don't regret that. I think we've, uh, you know, this industry has been very, very good to me. And they earn that pension, don't they? They <laughs> do earn that pension. Yeah, they do earn that pension. How old is he when he retired? Uh, he's 54. I was going to say, he's 50. That's it. You do get that, 50. 54. Wow. Yeah. So, no, he's, he, he had a very good career and uh, he's enjoying his Playing golf, etc. Now, yeah, yeah, no, well deserved. I know some yeah. retired police officers, and uh, yeah, yeah, they they definitely need to retire early definitely. with what they see. So, what was the next step after getting that job? Then, so I, I was at Bostic for about three years, and we developed. So, what, what happened? Bostic used to have a uh, an IG sealant business, and they had two different technologies. One was polyurethane, and one was what we call hot melt butyl which is still around today, and PU is today. But they split because they're owned by Total, the French oil company. They had a split of the business, and they gave the polyurethane business to a company called LGF, La Jean Francais, 
which right. was a dedicated sealant business. So they moved that technology to LGF, which left in the UK, made in Leicester, hot melt butyl for IG sealants. So they were left with this relatively small business. They didn't know what to do with it, but the, it had growth potential. So that's why I joined, was really to take it from me and another guy, to take it from small beginnings to, to try and grow the market share in the UK. So I was there for three years, and I was approached by um, Evode, Evostick, which is one of the competitors to Bostick at the time, right. to go and join them as business development manager for sealants generally, not just IG, but they had a sealants division. So I thought long and hard about it, and, but I went. Uh, I wasn't happy at Bostick, but it was the next career progression for me. Yeah, um, it, it was also involved in IG sealants, so I continued to sell sealants for the IG industry, but general sealants as well for all sorts of different applications. And then did pretty well there, got promoted, became European sales manager for that business. And then in 2000, 2001, Total, who owned Bostick, and Elf, who owned Evo Diva Stick, merged. Right. So in 2001, we put Evo Stick and Bostick together. Um, so I went back really to Bostick, and that business ultimately became Bostick because the brand, the global brand recognition of Bostick. So I actually ended up back at Bostick in 2001. Um, so we consolidated the two businesses, and I ran the sealants businesses, the combined business for both of them, up until about, I was probably to about 2004, 2005. And then in a big organisation like Bostick, good opportunities come along. So I was given additional business responsibility. Uh, always kept the IG business um, because of my background. It was always, yeah. you know, Chris, can you manage this as well as the IG business? So we ended up in all sorts of different industries, um, asbestos abatement, thermal insulation, flooring, all sorts of different things. And probably about 2005, six, something like that, I was very fortunate. I was put on what they call the high potential career development path within, within Bostick. Right. Obviously, they're a multi-billion you know, billion dollar organization backed by Total Oil at the time. So they had dedicated training resource and centers. So I was fortunate to go through the Total, some of the Total training courses and the side Bostic training courses all the way through corporate government, governance, internal audit, leadership and management skills, all presentation skills, dealing with the media, crisis management, all sorts of, and it was fantastic. It was, it was for four or five years, it was literally, you know, every six months a different training and, and it was, you know, top class from, so they used to hire in university lecturers. Wow. Uh, in their dedicated, they had their own what they called universities, yeah. training centres. So and that's where I really grew in terms of business management as well as not just because obviously I had a commercial and technical background, but that's where I gained a lot of the, the business management and leadership side of the skills and knowledge there. Right. Because a lot of people don't think about that, do they? they a lot of people, mainly in this industry, they sort of gone through the ranks and sort you of built up the experience and you <clears> learn as you go. But if you had training... I definitely would say that it save you in some scenarios that it's, you're not trained for no it's the 20 percent that it gives you. Mm. you you do learn through experience of, of managing people managing teams developing the product ranges etc but it, it's i guess it gives you the structure yes to do it it's like an mba effectively but it also gives you it gave me the first real insight to strategy mm. yeah um, you know, oh, not fun. looking for today, you know, how do we get to, in five, where do we want to be in five years and how do we get there? Um, and it gave me an introduction to product innovation and things like that because that was a big and still is a big part of the Bostick business is, is innovation. So it creates new skills, but it just cements what you've already learned for throughout your career. Yeah, that makes sense. And yeah, very powerful. Very yeah. powerful. I like that. So it was, um, it's, it's a shame that... I know there was a lot of money behind that, and that's why they were fortunate enough to, to be able to offer to you it. that. But it, and I know uh, there's plenty of people listening to this podcast who want to do that for their employees. Yes. But it's just finding the balance between exactly. It's an ex it is an expensive resource. You have mm. to be in an organisation of, of scale that can afford to do it. But training on any level is valuable. So you know we do here at EdgeTech, we do 
supervisor training, we do leadership training, safety training. And, you know, if, if you invest in your team, yes, you will be surprised just how the results improve, just how quickly the results improve with the investment. And they don't all leave. That's something that a lot of people think, oh, if I train them up, they will leave me. <laughs> but that's the nature of it. They don't all leave. No. Some will. But if you don't train them, what the results will be. Mm. If yeah. you train them, you're going to get better results. Yeah. I guarantee it. I like that. I like that. And then also going back to the, the merger, that was that a comfortable situation for you? Or <coughs> I was, um, <clears throat> Thankfully, and again, it's always good to leave on good terms. Mm. Even though I was joining a competitor, they, they, they understood the reason I was leaving. Yep. Um, and again, joining a competitor, you have to do it professionally and everything else. So for that two or three years, you didn't steal the address book on the way out. And exactly. Like that. Absolutely yeah. not. It wasn't, it wasn't that. And the, the, the person I was working for didn't recruit me for that. It wasn't yeah. bleed me from my knowledge and then get rid of it. It was literally, how do we take this business further yeah. and, and can you be part of it? Um, but when we merged, the, 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 the Bostic MD actually got the job of running the combined businesses. Right. And I was actually at Stafford, which is the old Evo site, still there. Late one evening, and he walked through. I won't mention his name. He walked through with the MD of Evode at the time, who knew he was going. And he came up to me, shook my hand, and said, Welcome back, Chris. So nice. I knew then I was okay. Yes. Yeah. It could have gone. It could have gone. If you'd been a different person, yeah. Yeah. You would have had a job. Uh, And and from that day, he. He, he's part of the reason I got on that career progression plan because he was, you know, advocating me in, in Paris, the headquarters to say, okay, these are the people we need to invest for the future. Right. So he, he actually helped my career. Wow. In the long run. Yeah. That's a good story. I like that. Yeah. Like Happy ending on that yeah, one. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, it's definitely not always the case. No, no. <laughs> but again, you've got always remain professional. That's all. That's, yeah. I guess that's all. That's all I did. Yeah. That makes sense. So with all that training, where did that lead you? When, when you, again, someone like that organisation, you have to accept, you get in the training and they will expect you to be able to be um, flexible in terms of the businesses that you manage or run. So every two to three years, literally, I got a fresh challenge. It right. was literally taking you outside of your comfort zone to say, okay, you, you've managed this business. Um, can you go over here? So I went from, B to B business to business management sales etc to managing building consumer business which was dealing with builders merchants DIY sheds blue tax so WH Smiths etc so I managed that business for two to three years wow. um, still kept an eye on the IG business yep. not as not as visible in the IG business managed it sort of a little bit from afar but it was always under my my management so. It, you have to accept, and I was offered a couple of overseas opportunities to go and to go and work in uh, overseas organisations of Bostic. Wasn't the right time, family reasons, etc. Yeah. So there was always great opportunities came about. It was that sort of organisation, and it came. You know, if you did the training, the investments in you, you had to be prepared to be flexible and take on new opportunities. Right. Yeah. No, that makes sense. But yeah, that's. I suppose that's a bit of an ass trying to go abroad and things like you say when you got family. Yeah, it wasn't the time, and Bostic was evolving as well. So I, I managed the B two C, the building and consumer business, but it was more about marketing and product placement. Mm. I'm an engineer, yes, by background. So I like technical products and technical solutions. And in, in around about 2014, 15. Bostic was going through a change and they wanted to create European business units. So I was asked, two or three of us were asked to take what was traditionally local businesses, the UK industrial team and manufacturing, um, and make it a European business. So consolidate manufacturing, technical, R&D and sales on a European level. So I I started that in 2015. And so we, we've so probably, you know, ultimately 19 businesses effectively across Europe wow. uh, consolidating into one business unit. And that took two or three years. Uh, and I ended up running what was called the product assembly business and the IG sealant business, 
was part of the product assembly business. So anything that was stuck together or sealed that was, was manufactured in a factory, basically, was what we call product assembly. So that was right away from glass to automotive to furniture to sh- uh, building products, roofing, plasterboard, etc. So that was all under the rem- on, a, on a European level. Right. And that's how I came across Quanix. I see. Uh, who own Edgetech. So during that time, I was also asked to, to have a global review of the IG sealant business. So we manufactured in the UK and sold into Europe and Asia. And North America had a IG sealant business, which was underperforming really. So I was asked to run, to lead a review of how do we, what do we do with that business going forward? And working with the colleagues in the US uh, on capacity and everything else, we decided to exit some of the market because we could free capacity up for, for more profitable, faster growing businesses. And the team over there were, were, were of an age where they're all going to retire in the next one or two years as well. So it was either put lots of investment, lots of time, rebuild a team or do something different. So, I explored the opportunity of moving away from a direct sales to selling direct from Bostick to an IG unit or, or a window company, going through a distribution model. Right. And so we talked to several businesses, one of them being Quanex. And over about a year, two-year period, uh, I got to know George Wilson, who is now the CEO of Quanex very well. And George and I did the deal. So we Bostick handed over the IG customer base to Quanix in North America and Quanix then distributed the sealant business for, for Bostic and still do to this day. Right. So I got to know George very well and George over time asked me a couple of times if I'd be interested joining Quanix in one capacity or another and it was you know it was never the right time and it was never really the right job but in 2015 September 2015 Everybody knows Andy Jones in the industry. Andy, who used to be the previous MD of EdgeTech, and I will say Andy did a great job establishing EdgeTech in the UK, a fantastic job. Andy, for his own reason, decided to leave. And I was actually visiting George at Glassbuild Exhibition in the States, in Atlanta. Right. And so George pulled me to one side and just and said, look, you know, there's an opportunity. Andy's decided to leave. Would you be interested in joining to come run the UK for me? And it was a, you know, it was a big call. Mm. I had a established, successful career at Bostic. Still had lots of opportunities ahead, I'm sure. But I was late forties. If I didn't go, then I was never going to go. So, and the opportunity to join Quanix was just too overwhelming, really. So I decided to join Quanix and decided to become MD of EdgeTech. Right. And joined Coventry January 2016. Right. So I've just just done my seven year seven year anniversary. Seven years. Time flies. Right. Well, there's a lot there. Bostic make blue tack. Not a lot of people know that. No. And when you when you mentioned that, I thought I'm definitely coming back to that because not a you, lot of people know that. So your experience has gone to consumer level. Yeah, yeah. With yeah, yeah. with blue tack. Yes. With blue um, tack and glitter glue and all sorts of things. Oh, uh, that's, that's literally PBA for my schools. daughter's life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, everything yeah. she loves there. Yeah. So that I mean, all of this goes in. There's never a job that's wasted. No. So all that experience you pull that through, and it comes into whatever you're doing. So it was never, you know. But that, how different was the were those days to now? I guess from a role point of view, I I always looked at it is whether it's B&Q or whether it's WH Smith or whether it's Travis Perkins or whatever, or whether it's a distributor in the IG or, or the automotive industry, fundamentally they're a distributor. But their scale and their route to market it, it differs. And I guess that's the real difference is, is a technical sell is a technical sell and you have to sell the features and benefits of a product. Most of... The other side is all about product placement and promotion activity and getting getting things on the shelf, basically. Yeah. If it's on the shelf, the consumer generally will will buy it. And Blue Tech is a great example of that. Nobody 
nobody really associates Bostic and Bluetack. No. Blue Tack is such a strong brand. But I can picture Bostic on the on the packaging. You can now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I can see it. Yeah. But um so yeah, deal, dealing with that sort of a you know, um consumer environment is totally different dealing with a, an industrial application or a, a yeah. sealant or whatever. It's completely different. Lots of random questions I can imagine. Will it stick this? Will it do that? Will it stick this? Will it do that? Can I eat it? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. 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 All sorts I of think it's a bit things. like um, Play Doh or something. Yeah, and, and 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 what's the difference between you know, if you go into B and Q and you go you go down the sealant aisle of B and Q. Yeah. You you're overwhelmed. At everything. But you're overwhelmed yeah, fundamentally. Definitely you are. That there's every single brand in every single colour in every single application. So how does your product stand out on the shelf when you're walking down, unless you know about sealants, most people will just go uh, they'll go by the brand. Yeah. Price and brand is generally what they go for. Yeah, and what they've seen on, and have they stuck anyone to a tree with it? Or, or <laughs> the dad's told them that Eva Stick glue's the best. Yeah, whatever it is. Yeah, the contact, you know, and that's how Eva Stick came about was was contact adhesive, and it's still on the shelf today. Wood glue is Eva Stick. People recognise wood glue. With yeah. It. So the green tin. So you pick up the green tin. You don't really know it's Eva Stick or Bostick. It's 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 wood glue, and it's just that product association. Right. But a lot of that still, I mean, brand is, is such an important thing. Exactly. Pulling that through into, you know, the B2B world is, is not a bad thing, is no. it? No, no. And that's one of the good things of, of EdgeTech. Um, Andy over the year and Charlotte here in, in EdgeTech Coventry, we invested a lot early days in the brand of EdgeTech and Superspacer. Very apparent, yeah. And they did it exceptionally well. They got the product established, they got the brand established, and they got the custom and they, the company established. And that we're still living off that legacy today. All that work that was done 15, 20 years ago, we're still living off that, you know, that brand awareness and brand recognition. Which, like you say, when you've been competing at that level, I'm not saying it's easier now, but you know, it, it's we're still established. Yeah, exactly. And it takes that time and effort and a lot of people, I mean, we talk to people about branding and things and, and it comes up on this podcast quite a bit because it's so powerful. And yeah. a lot of people almost, it's not that they, I don't think they forget to invest in it. I think they just don't see the benefits of it straight away. And then, and if you say to someone, this could take years to build up your brand, they sort of associate it with the cost that they're not going to get a return on straight away. And it's hard to justify. I think we've all Absolutely. been there, but it's very apparent that the people that do have strong brands are still around. Yes. Um, unless yeah. they find another way to mess it up. But, you know, that's, yeah. that's yeah. <laughs> and the, they do. Yeah, they do. They do. <laughs> so th that's very interesting that you've, you've gone through all of that because not everyone in your position has. No, and, and that's, again, I'm very fortunate working for an organisation or worked for an organisation like Bostic that invested in me and gave me the opportunities and had many different markets. So you get exposure to different industries and different markets. But I always loved the IG business. It's where I started. It was always my business, effectively. I, I, always, I always took great care of it. Um, so, you know, the IG, the IG industry has been my passion for coming up to 30 years now. And on that note, how, how has that changed for you? Have you seen that change over the years? Yeah, it's a good question because in 94, when I started, the research or the estimate of IG unit manufacturers, whether that was specific companies that just made glass units or window companies, there was about probably over 3,000 in the UK. Now, there's just over 700. So there's been a lot of consolidation yeah. Yeah. over time for various reasons, mainly driven by the correct reasons, which is the improvement and the standards that IG units have to, to, to adhere to, the 1279 standard. So you've got to put a lot of investment in, um, in testing and equipment to, to be able to make good quality IG units. Whereas in 94, it was a cottage industry. It was yeah. in the, somebody's garage yeah, with a clamp table, a hot melt machine, knocking out 100 units. Perfectly well, perfect, you know, to the standard at the time. But as standards and, and everything else evolved – and toughened glass came more prevalent and laminated glass and warm edge spacers and everything else. There's been a natural consolidation in the industry to, you know, there's still some very small customers, companies that do, you know, a specific niche role for themselves. 
right the way through to you know um, you, uh, IG unit manufacturers who make a hundred thousand units a week. Yeah, there's Brilliant. still that diversity in there. Yes, yeah, there's still that diversity, but it has consolidated. Still, it could still consolidate. Is what I, I think, think it will. Yeah, it's it's probably a natural. Well, I think we're, we're going to see this in the industry anyway, so it's it's not a case of people aren't expecting it. I think there's always natural consolidation. You, you'll see, you know, the, one of the good things about edge tech and where we sit within that industry is that we've got a very established customer base. And we're in that sort of, we're, we are in the, the small market as well with a hand application, very good, very, you know, loyal customers. We're also in the mid-tier who were the early adopters of automation that invested heavily in our technology effectively, the application of our technology, and are in it for the long run. So if you buy a machine, you're in it for 15 years, really. Because that's the that's the length of you know the the lifetime of the machine, and it's great to see over the last six months, twelve months, our customers now reinvesting in up to date IG lines, still reinvesting in our technology, because we've helped them over the years, we've built up that credibility, that technical support, and we do we actually did what we called the brand book about four or five years ago to try and understand you know why do customers buy from us. And why do, why do prospects don't buy from us? And so we interviewed lots of existing customers and, and other, you know, IG unit that, that were prospects that don't necessarily buy 100% of our product. And it was interesting. We were, going back to brand, we were established, we were trusted, we were liked from, a, from an organization point of view, and we had good products. And that's borne out now by people continuing to invest in, in edge tech, because it is an investment. We don't just sell the product. If one of our one of our customers has to spend over a million pounds putting an automated IG line in, so they're investing as yeah. as a company, not just as a product. Yeah, definitely. You don't put a million in if you don't trust the company. No, exactly. With. So it's uh, it's good. So you know that branding, that marketing, that support that we offer as as literally, we started as. Energy efficiency, thermal performance, warm edge spaces going back 15 years ago. So we were one of the first to market in the UK. So we, we still obviously that now, and we've got many competitors in that warm edge technology. But what we've really seen over the last three or four years is part of the, um, the growth that we're seeing internationally, not just in the UK, but globally, there's a, there's a massive labor shortage. Right. Not just in this country, but globally. But here in the UK, the investment, the new business we're getting is purely driven by the thermal performance of the product. And because ours is flexible and can be applied by a robot effectively, you eliminate labor. Yeah. So on, our, on a line using um, Superspacer, you have three or four guys. On a line using traditional spacers, it's eight or nine. Massive difference. Massive difference. Paper that million, no problem. But it, yeah. It does. <laughs> but it pays for that long term. Yeah, it does. You know, that million over 15 years with a labour shortage and people, you know, they, they realise as well, wage inflation over 15 years. Yeah. For nine people. Definitely, yeah. Then you've got the attrition and the recruitment and trying to retain them. Um, so it's, you know, so we've gone, we've pretty much gone full circle. We've gone from... Energy efficiency being our key route to market, key driver. Now it's labour. And I guess going forward, it will be a combination of the two because I think what we're seeing now with the energy crisis, that will inevitably drive building codes, building standard changes. We're seeing it with document L changes, but where will that be in five to ten years' time? And and it's only going to get tighter. We're going to have to get better, more thermally efficient products as an industry, not just IG spaces, but as an industry to market. So I think the future for that is really bright as well from a thermal, and this crisis will lead, I think will accelerate that 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 implementation of real tight tightening of standards and codes. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I see the spacer bar as someone who used to sell windows and doors, the spacer bar made the difference in the sealed unit exactly. to actually get 
that product to where you needed it. To an A-rated window. Exactly. Because it, it, and it, it's the system. It's the whole system approach. If I had a pound for every time I told a customer that, I probably wouldn't have needed to sell anything. But yeah. it was literally, what's the difference between those two? You see that silver bar there, yeah. and you see that black one there? Yeah. That's the difference. That's the difference. It's a thermal break. Yeah. Fundamentally, that's what it does. And it's like most things. I know it was developed over the time, and you sort of, you know, we build on these things. But like you say, when, it, when we first started making sealed units... Literally, it, some of those were by hand, and they were just literally cottage industry. Exactly. So, cottage industry. if we can get an aluminium spacer bar in, and it's the right colour, that's all the customer cared about. Yeah, and, um, and it passed the standards, and it was perfectly, you know, it was fit for market at that time. And has the codes and standards changed? It went from aluminium to thermal, you know, warm edge technology, and we're still sort of in that warm edge technology now. But how do we kick on from there? Um, that's a fascinating with with, thing, with yeah. spacers, with glass technology, with window technology. How how does how does the fenestration industry tackle the next ten years? And that's I think that's going to be a an interesting debate going forward. Definitely, definitely. But you're definitely in the right place to do that. Yeah, and product development. We you know we've we've just launched a new super spacer product in the UK, and we continue to innovate and look at. How do we improve? How can we help our customer make a better sealed unit? How can we continue to push the bar? And that's and that's what we're working on now. I suppose that will be a, co- a combination of training, machinery. I mean, the machinery as well is impressive. And I'm starting to see, you, you probably know more than me, but some of the factories I'm getting to, they're having redundant backup lines ready. Yes, and in sort of, I looked at it from the point of view that they're waiting for something to go wrong, but not necessarily. They could be making upgrades. They could be just, they're ready. Or, you know, things happen. Sometimes yep. they do go down and you do need to, but just having that whole separate line yep. ready to go was eye-opening for me that that is the level of service they want to be at. They yep. don't want to let anyone down. Yeah. Whereas there's some companies out there that, you know, if you've got to put all your money into one line, you've got to make sure it's running 24-7. Exactly. And, and is it a different type of investment? Probably have more engineers around or yeah, someone yeah. that can fix it. Support. Exactly. Yeah. So it's sort of weighing those up, isn't it? But yeah. it was just fascinating that I'm seeing that investment. I am seeing companies do that. I, I think the ones that invest now are, are here, obviously, for the long term because they're, they're future-proofing their business. Mm. You know, I was with one of our customers, Cleartherm. You know, he's he's reinvested in a super spacer line. And, you know, Dave and I were talking and he said, you know, they put a new toughening plant in, they put a new um, IG line in. Uh, and he said, you know, we've future-proofed this for 15 years effectively because the investment we've put in now will see see the business grow. Yeah. gives us the capacity to support their existing business and potentially grow if they wanted to. Yeah. And, you know, eliminate the need for labour as, as, as much as possible. Yeah. And it's not because we're trying to get rid of jobs. Absolutely not. Because people not. can be, you know, redistributed into other areas. And they do. You know, when you, when you say you save, people don't necessarily save overhead. What they do is they move it to where they've got a shortage of overhead. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's basically what happens. Yeah. It frees up, you know, instead of having nine people there, have three or four and move the other four over there. Yeah. And that's what typically happens. So it's not eliminating labour. It's, you know, debottling, necking your, your process, basically. And it's a lot of people actually seeing a sealed unit made. You sort of can't picture how it's made without human hands really touching it. Yeah. But anyone that sold a window with a handprint in it or something like exactly. that and it has to be replaced is a pain that costs absolutely everyone. Exactly. And it just happens. You know, it's, it's, it's human nature. Mistakes happen. So I sort of see technology that the more automated you can make it, the less likely the chance of a human error. Yeah. Even to the point of setting up machines sometimes. Exactly. That, that could be the human yeah. error side. It's still not the machine. Yeah, it's human error. And the other thing, the important fact as well, you know, people, one of the customers in, in, in Europe, when I went to see them, they said one of the key drivers they had, they were making big IG units with, with a rigid plastic spacer. And to put that spacer onto a big piece of glass without getting fingerprints on the butyl sealant, with it bowing, with people up step ladders, mm. holding this, trying to position this piece of, on, on a piece of glass. And he said, one of the reasons we've gone for super space automated is from a safety point of view. Yeah. The robot does it. I don't have to get men up ladders or whatever, or move things. It's a, it's a, it's, it's from, so it's a, it's a safe 
reliable application as well is what you know people are telling us is, is, is one of the reasons they buy super spacer yeah i like that didn't even think of that yeah yeah but i don't own a factory so it's okay <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> it's okay i don't figure that <clears throat> so on that sort of note european how big for people that don't really understand the quanex yep. company itself how big are you what what were you doing <clears throat> yeah um well so quanex own EdgeTech, and they also own our sister company in the UK, Linear, right um, in Derbyshire. Um, so Quanex, as an organisation, we're about 1.2 billion last year, 4,000 employees. Wow. And we've got nearly 40 manufacturing sites around the world. Uh, it's mainly a North American business. Um, so we've got three manufacturing sites in Europe, here in Coventry, Heinsberg, Germany, which... I, I'm responsible for as well, and obviously linear up in Derbyshire. We are growing um, organically. Um, so we have three business units as Quanex. It's traditionally what's known as you know, fenestration, doors and windows is what is what we're known for. So we have a North, America, North American fenestration business. So the IG Spacer, Edge Tech part of that is in the North American fenestration. Um, Edge Tech UK and Germany is part of European fenestration with with linear. Uh, so oh. from a managed some of, so if you if you look at our results or look at our website, you'll see North American fenestration, European fenestration, which is where edge tech and linear fit in, and then we've got what we call Quanix custom cabinets. So we also do um, cabinet business. So they they take literally timber and make kitchen doors, kitchen uh, drawers, all sorts of things for mainly all in North America to kitchen manufacturers, to the big retail sheds over there. Um, so Quanix, we, we've got lots of different technologies. So we extrude PVC, we extrude rubber products, we roll form aluminium and steel, we make wooden cabinets. So we, we're quite a diverse business. And and we want to grow. So we're 1.2 billion last year. Um, George has set as an ambitious target of 2 billion. Wow. As quickly as possible. We haven't put a time frame on it. Oh, you keep saying that, yeah. it yeah, as quickly as possible. Uh, and that's, you know, we've got to grow in our existing markets, gain share. We've got to innovate and develop new products to, to new markets because we're also in things like building wrapping in North America, where we wrap buildings um, through a, uh, so we, we're an own label supplier to a, a, a really, really well-known brand that wrap buildings over in, in North America during the construction process. So we, we do that, right. wrapping tapes. We're, we do, we've got a, a range of products for solar panel, photovoltaic panels um, that we do all around, all around the world. Um, so we're in lots of different niche industries as well. And we want to grow that type of – so we've got the expertise. We, we, we are um, rubber compounders, and we've just invested, just acquired a, a new business in North America just before Christmas, November, who are rubber compounders. So they literally take base chemicals and make a rubber compound that then goes to a, uh, another company that produces a gasket, a seal, for us a spacer bar or whatever that be – so we want to we want to grow that side of the business as well. So we'll grow through acquisition. We're, 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 we're you know lots of opportunities out there. I think for, from growing the business through strategic acquisitions internationally as well as you know in the UK or in 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 North America. For us as space of manufacturers, international markets is a is a real growing area. So um, the IG international business that that I that I lead. We service 90 countries. Oh, Coventry nice. majority is UK and Ireland, but we do service some in Asia from, from Coventry. But our German plant was built specifically to service Europe generally, but now internationally. So we, we do Australasia. Um, so we've got a real focus on growing our international sales, mainly because some markets are beginning to wake up to thermal efficient windows mm. so go back 15 years where the uk was with aluminium spacer 
large parts of the world now are transitioning to warm edge spaces. Oh, wow. So it's all, yeah. So it gives us the opportunity. They're just 15, 20 years behind us. And again, going back to the energy crisis, I actually think that will accelerate a lot of, lot of, you know, governments around the world saying, okay, we've got to make our buildings more thermally efficient. And windows and doors is a great example, you know, one of the easiest and, and most impactful way of, you know, air tightness is, is putting new double glazing in, using a thermally efficient spacer bar. But not everyone sees that, especially our government. But, but no, <laughs> not here, exactly. Absolutely agree with you. Yeah, Absolutely they'd much rather um, clad the attic clad with, exactly. <laughs> clad, uh, clad the building before they do the windows. Yeah. Uh, anything to, it must be, um, someone's upset someone somewhere. <laughs> That's I what think, I'm thinking. Yeah, and I agree. I think, obviously, the government can't support every industry. No. I think we've missed the boat a little bit. I think mm. for, as an industry, for many, many years we've probably not promoted ourselves no. effectively. Yes, that's a nice way of putting it. I think other industries have, have stealing the march on us yeah. and are reaping the benefit now. It's like that brand investment, isn't it? We we never invested in brand fenestration in the UK and we've, we've been left behind. So we've got to, and I think we've got to promote the industry collectively much better to the consumer to, you know, all the way through to the house builders. You know, instead of just buying a house, you're buying a house with a thermally efficient window and sell the benefits of that as well. And and ultimately to government. And that's that's going to be a long slog, I think, in the UK. I'd like to think we'll get there. I think think we will. We're getting away from the the white gold is sort of, apart from if there's another series, we might go back again. But, you know, those days are behind the majority of companies now. I think there's still a few out there that are trying the old tricks. But... With reviews these days, they get found out pretty quickly. Yeah, exactly. So it, it's not, it's a different time. It's what, 30 years next year I've been in the industry. And oh, wow. the professionalism of the industry now, to what it was, it was a cottage industry. And it was, you know, it had an, it had an image yes. as a cottage industry. Let's put it that way. I think that's changed in lots of ways. And I think as an industry, we've got to sell the benefits of a window. We don't just sell the window. We've got to sell the benefits of the window, what it does to the consumer, to to social housing, to house builders. And eventually, if we do that, ultimately, I hope government will start to listen. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely... I think a lot of people just got caught up thinking there's so much money in this industry or that we're making so much money that, you know, we don't need any help. I don't, I don't know what it was. but it, I, it was, I don't know what it is. It, it's something that I think they're still pulling on those days where it's a bit of a con. But I don't think we're getting <clears> to this stage where, you know, the facts and figures are there. We can prove that changing this, this window, exactly. this door will save you money in this sense. And yeah. Then you've got to look at the risk to the point where it'll make the rest of your house worse. You know, it's going to show. Absolutely. It, um, you know, if you do nothing else, if you improve the air tightness of your building, you will improve the, the thermal performance of that building dramatically because you're not losing heat and you're not letting cold air in. We'll um, just we'll leave trickle vents out of this. Yeah. But <laughs> that's, that's, that's a different podcast. Not my remit, that one. <laughs> Luckily, good yeah, luck, you don't have to do that. For that one, Unless yeah. they want to put seals. On a chuckle vent or yes, something. Yeah, exactly. that's where you could come back. Yeah, yeah. So, sort of coming back to the the worldwide, are you having to travel quite a bit? Yeah. One of the reasons, it's quite interesting. One of the reasons, other than the, it was a fantastic opportunity, one of the reasons I left Boston was I'd, I'd done five years of traveling Europe every week. Wow. Oh, right. Pretty much. I didn't realize that. That's, that's a lot. Because I managed a European business. Yeah. And we of had people dotted around in 19 different locations. So I'd got to a point where I was, you know, I was a bit tired of the travel. So I joined Quonix thinking, you know, nice UK business, spend a bit more time in the UK. George came to me and said, I want you to run the IG international business. We're going to consolidate and can you grow the sales internationally? So um, we used to have, uh, how we used to be structured, I was the MD of Coventry and Joachim Stoss was the MD of Germany. So what we've done, I'm now the MD of both, and Joachim, who, who still sits on the Quanex board alongside me and the, and the other business unit leaders, Joachim's been given the title of VP International 
sales development. Right. So we couldn't, you can't manage a business and grow sales at the same time. So we, we freed up Joachim's time to be able to go out into international markets. He's on a plane to Korea as we speak right. to develop our sales internationally. That so, makes perfect sense. And then we'll build around that. So we'll start to build a, a a team. We've got a team in Europe and the UK, servicing UK and European customers. We're relying on sort of agents and distributors in, in international markets. But, you know, clearly we're going to have to reinforce that as well going forward. Right. So it does mean you get to stay. It does. So I, I did travel extensively for about two or three years. Yeah. Because I, I ran the sales as well as so I and I still I still enjoy travel. Don't yeah. get me wrong. Um, so I, I still travel to some of the international markets uh, and been an American business. You know, they're headquartered in the US. My boss sits in Houston. Um, so, you know, we have to go to to the US two or three, four times a year. Yeah. And it's important that you do that for the face to face. And that's a great point because George took over as CEO in 2000, December 2019, November 2000. So we had a meeting in January 2020, effectively as a new yeah. Quanex management team. George is the new CEO and he created a new um, exec board underneath him. We had one meeting, COVID hit. So we didn't see each other for two and a half years. Two and a half years. I did, so I effectively, I didn't see my boss for two and a half years, other than on Teams. I, I was going to say, that that's definitely where everything started to shine and technology took over. It was a massive help. But we've just done a, re, you know, we've done a review of, of, of the good and bad of Teams. And we all said on the, we've missed the face-to-face. We've missed that interaction. Yeah. That, so in January last month, I went to Cambridge, Ohio, where we make the IG spaces in North America. It's the first time I've been in that plant for three and a half years. Wow. And, the, the, you know, just to see the people again, just to see what they're working on, just to see their new lines, et cetera. You know, you can't replicate that on Teams. No, no, you definitely can't. So um, it's, it's good to be able to travel again. And I just, you know, it's nice to be able to decide when I want to go now rather than having to do it all the time. No, I like that. Just to get sort of my head around, you mentioned linear. Yep. Is that sort of, how does that work with you? Are they completely separate? Completely or? separate. Right. Completely separate, just part of the same group. Martin Thurley runs linear. From a reporting line up through our um, financials, it, it's, it's, we, we consolidated at that level, but yeah. uh, it's a completely separate business to EdgeTech. Right. And we want it to be because, you know, clearly, you know, linear have customers that don't use EdgeTech products and vice versa. So we have yeah. to be a completely different business. It's just, it's nice for the insight because you've got, you know, you see what a systems company is doing. Yeah. And you sort of, you know, the data is not a bad thing, is it? No, no. And again, been owned by Quanix. What what they give, talk specifically EdgeTech, what they give us is that financial support mm. and that financial stability. So when we want to make investments, and over the last, through, through the pandemic years, we've made, obviously, with all the issues on supply chain and the, and the explosion in demand, et cetera, we've had to increase capacity. It's, you know, it's a very smooth process within Quanex where, you know, they're very supportive. We go with the business plan and we get the investment. And last year we presented a five-year plan for IG International, the two sites, and we've got record level of investment for the next three years to grow capacity, to grow, and that's, the actual lines that make the superspacer, but the mixing capacity of mixing the rubber compounds all the way through to an R&D technical center. Wow. So become more self-sufficient from a product development, innovation, technical center as well. And all of that's been agreed. So we've got the next three to five years is really, really exciting in terms of how IG International, as we call it, how that's going to grow. And, you know, we want to double as well in five years. That's that's the aim. And it's there. The potential is and there. And it's there. It's you know, more. we've got growing, you know, we're gaining share in the UK. We're gaining share in Europe. And I honestly believe international markets are ready to explode because of the energy crisis and the improvement in thermal performance required 
building standards and codes, um, I think there's going to be a natural explosion in some of these markets where they are going to need warm-edge spaces. Mm. They're going to have to move away from aluminium or certain parts of the market is going to have to move away from aluminium. Yeah. So it's exciting times. It <clears> is, <throat> it is. And there's there's more products to come. There's there's so much potential there. It's all working towards the same thing. Yeah. Because I didn't realise TrueFit is something that you're responsible for. Yeah, Edge Tech, we, we, we distribute a product called TrueFit. And going back to that air tightness and, you know, stopping drafts into, into buildings, traditionally we've used cans of expanding polyurethane foam and silicone to fit windows for years. And it's been adequate for years. But TrueFit has been developed to, it's literally a tape that expands and fills the void and can fill, you know, it's great in, in particularly in older buildings where you've got oh yeah, windows, shall we say, they're not exactly, you know, 90 degrees accurate in terms of the, the frame that it, or the, the, the hope, the, the opening that it's going into. So TrueFit is, you know, ideal for that sort of application. Social housing, it's gaining a lot of traction now in social housing with the change, again, industry-led, uh, standard-led. So, yeah, we're diversifying away from just spacer bars into Charlotte likes to call it warm edge for windows. Oh, <laughs> you can tell she's in marketing. Yes, exactly. it's just, she was born for that role. Yeah, so we've got warm edge for space in IG units and now we've got warm edge for windows. I like that. It was, um, I was always fascinated because, as I said to you when I sort of arrived, that they used to sell windows and yeah. that was a selling point just yeah, to yeah. try and include it. I mean, you could charge more for it, but you know, on occasion we just, that was a nice thing to include because we knew that it was sort of long-term and it, it was, uh, as long as you survey it properly and you allow yeah. for it, yeah, yeah. it's absolutely fine. And and it made such a difference to the consumer to the point yeah. where <clears throat> if you're in sales and you were getting, you know, the day-to-day was getting you, it sort of reinvigorated you to sell something different exactly. to everyone else. And it is designed to be installed without silicon, and that yeah. was something that we were sort of talking about. But it, it's, it was definitely, for me, I saw it as the future. I, I did see it as another level, to exactly how Charlotte's described it, yeah. warm edge for your window. Yeah, and it's, it's that upselling mm. of the window and, and selling the benefit of that air tightness. Yeah. You know, probably differentiates you from some of your competitors. Absolutely. That, that was it. And you could, I, I mean, there was lots of eco properties that we used to come up against and, and they hadn't even heard of it. Uh, and you were sort of thinking they may have had another table, something to put in, but I was like, this is the one that you, and absolutely they, that was what they were going for. Yeah. So yeah, uh, that's what I mean. And that is just the tip of the iceberg, really. I, I can only imagine what's going to come out of that R and D percent. Exactly. And some of the products we do in North America, like this building wrapping. Yeah. That was intriguing. That was, um, you know, that sort of technology is well known, you know, can we replicate some of that in into the international markets? Can we can we move and transition into these markets? And that's part of our, the Quanex growth strategy is, okay, we're going to develop new products, innovate, grow organically and internationally, grow through acquisition. But we also want to look at the markets we're already in, what could we be doing as well? Mm. So we focus, you know, we extrude PVC in North America and in the UK. We make spacer bars. Maybe we should have an air tightness range. Mm. We've got TrueFit. What other products can we help installers fit and and have, see the benefits of, uh, you know, yes, install it slightly different way, but being able to sell that benefit for air tightness? Because I think air tightness as well as energy efficiency is going to be the two real areas that we need to focus on. Yeah. I'm excited for you. <laughs> <laughs> you can see there's, there's a lot going on. And it's so is that sort of come into the stickers and, and the, the slogan that I'm seeing everywhere? Yes. So, yeah, we, you know, we, we launched as Quanix, um, a lot of PR in the, U, in the UK and all around the world. We're, we're now, our slogan is a part of something bigger because traditionally what we make, it, people don't see necessarily they see the spacer bar they see the but they don't really understand it but what we are are actually we produce products that go into something so we're part of something bigger yeah i like that um but it's also we use that internally because we have a a strategy for for quanex is you know we've got our customers our employees our communities that we that we operate in 
and our shareholders. So whatever we do, we do for those four stakeholders, as we call them. And that part of something bigger is, you know, from our employees' point of view, we can use that for HR because they do feel part of a bigger team yeah. as an international team. So, it, 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 you know, it's a great slogan that we're really, you know, using. And we want to be bigger. We want to grow as a team. We're part of that growth. So you'll see a lot of part of something bigger as you walk around. Yeah. And on that note, if you'd like to sell your business, email Chris. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the possibilities are endless, really. Yeah. Yeah. It's exciting time. It's exciting times for the industry. I think we've had boom years for two years, two or three years, for the obvious reasons. 2023, there's going to be a natural correction. Yes. Yeah, I agree. But it's a natural con- correction from a record high. Mm. So we all get a bit depressed about it's not as good as last year, but historically it's still good. Yeah. And I think we've got to get that mindset that this isn't, you know, we've still got a thriving business in fenestration, doors and windows. Yes, it's going to be down on 2022, but that's obvious. But going forward, the growth potential is still, I think, still there in the UK, particularly for, you know, we've got 26, 27 million old properties, the oldest housing stock in Europe that needs improving. Even if you've had double glazing 15 years ago, 10 years ago, you can it's still... It's time. It's yep. time. Um, you've, we've got a shortage of housing. You know, we've never built, we've never reached the target of new house builds in this country. The government have actually dropped the target now. They're not even putting a target on it because it's pointless. We don't. So we're, we're, we, we've got an old stock... We've got not enough new houses being built. So I think, you know, in terms of for the industry, as and when that turns, when house building comes back and we start to hit the targets that we need and replacements of windows uh, in the old in ho- old housing stock and commercial applications for us as well. You know, we, we're traditionally known as spacer bar for residential windows. But a lot of our growth now in Europe and internationally is, is in commercial applications. Right. Because architectural design of glass is now prominent in, in, in architecture's mind and so, they have yeah. all these weird and wonderful shapes. And, um, and our spacer bar, because it's flexible, is ideally for, you know, for those shaped units. So when you see the Museum of the Future in Dubai, which looks like a rugby ball, it's using our spacer bar. Wow. Because it's easy to apply. That's a great showroom. Yeah, it's a great show. So that's what we try and publish now is... You'll see a lot of what we do now is not just in residential, it's in the commercial markets as well. That's quite a journey you've had, all yes. of that. Um, and exciting times. We've got to, we, I, I honestly think this industry has got a fantastic future ahead of it. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. Uh, there's, there's definitely, and, and you're, I think, in a position to enjoy it all the most. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> you've been investing, you've been thinking about the future. Yes. And you've planned. Yeah. So on that note, in the whole of your journey so far, is there a low point? that sticks out for you? I guess the low point is part of the high point. I guess the low point was the supply chain crisis that the industry went through Mm. because of the demand that was created. The supply chain physically just couldn't keep up, not just in our industry generally. We we saw that. And I think the low point was was trying to manage the expectation for everybody in that supply chain, in that real chain, right from the consumer who wanted – windows and doors not been able to supply them and fit them in 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 a you know um fast and speedy way because of the supply chain so that was that that was probably one of the most difficult periods i think um we've had in as edgetech's history was really managing that supply chain mm. and, and we weren't alone everybody was in that in that situation yeah unprecedented times but the high point, the flip side to that, is that sort of off the back of that then? The high point, obviously, from a business success point of view, with the volumes and everything, the unprecedented levels of volume, was, was, was yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, for me personally, I think the high point throughout my career is um, helping people, helping people to develop, create the team, you know, that, that team culture, and, and seeing, you know, good people progress. To me, that's that's fantastic that's what i you know i get the most thrill out of that than, than anything 
Yeah, I like that. I, I think uh, I, I think a lot of people want to do that more. It's just that they struggle, you know, sometimes to the day-to-day of running their own business. Exactly, yeah. And I get that. And I, again, I, go, I was fortunate throughout my career, I could see the benefit of, of developing people and teams. I was fortunate to be in an organisation that was big enough to be able to do that. And um, But it, 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 it's so rewarding when you see somebody do well. Fantastic. Last question, the hardest of them all, most people say, if you had to spend two weeks on a desert island with someone from the fenestration world, who would it be? The list of who I wouldn't want to spend two weeks with is quite long. <laughs> um, you can start with that. That's not No, I'm not going to say anything. I won't, I won't be rude to anybody. Um, it's a tough one because I've got a lot of you know, a lot customers of mm. for many, many, many years. Um, I've got a lot of colleagues um, here at EdgeTech. So try not to upset either of them two. Yeah. Is Both can make your life uncomfortable, to be fair. So I guess a bit of a curveball. There was a guy going back to when I joined in 94, joined the industry in 1994. The guy that recruited me at Bostick um, was a character. He, he was really good fun. He was really knowledgeable, and he taught me a lot. And so without upsetting any of our customers or any of my colleagues, I, I'll go back to a guy called Tony Govia who – who was the guy that introduced me to the IG business. Wow. Nearly 30 years ago. Wow. Yeah, that's a good answer. I'll give you that one. That's a very <laughs> good answer. You've, you've solved the problem. You haven't set a single person. No, exactly. And I don't even know where Tony is. <laughs> It'd be good to catch up. It's an yeah, yeah. ideal scenario. Yeah. Chris, thank you very much for your time today. It's been a really pleasure. appreciate it. And all the best for the future. Thank you. It's an open invitation. You're welcome back anytime. So we can yeah, certainly no, get on exactly. in a couple of years' time. Yeah. But uh, thank you very much. Brilliant. Really enjoyed it. Thanks, Richard. Thank you. Take care. Bye.